Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Welcome to the California School Choice Radio Network, hosted by Mike Alexander, the lead proponent of the Educational Freedom Act Initiative and chairman of Californians for School Choice. Join us to learn how to put parents, not politicians, in charge of our children's education. And now, here's your host, Mike Alexander, the voice of choice in California education. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Alexander, President of California School Choice, with you for Episode 8 of The Voice of Choice. Coming to you here from AM870, The Answer, right here in Glendale. This is our weekly podcast in which we explore thought leaders and others, uh, other issues here regarding school choice where we are right now, and most importantly, help you to come to an understanding of what's really going on out there in the name of education. Uh, This week, uh, in a few moments, we're going to have Lance Zumi on, who's the Senior Director at the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. We're going to talk with him about the broadest of all topics, which is the crisis in education here in the state of California. Lance has written several books. He's an expert in these areas, and you're going to love listening to what he has to say. In the second uh, and most popular segment, we will have our Government Grifter of the Week Award. And this week, we're going to delve into what goes on in the biggest scam of them all, the LAUSD, Los Angeles Unified So-Called School District. It is a money factory. It is a grifting and graft factory over there. And we're going to read you some names about it. Now, as we go into uh, this week, we're now down uh, to about 60 days to get our signatures. We're making tremendous progress. We need all of you out there right now to go to our website. And if you have not already done so, download our petition, sign it, and better yet, get somebody else to sign it with you. And even better than those two things, Give us some love when you go on that website. Click that donate site, because for those of you who can't really get out in the field, give us some money. We'll find some people who can. That's the secret, because we need over one million valid signatures to make this happen. But I'm happy to report to all of you here that the school choice movement in California is not only alive and well, it is growing. 
And when I speak throughout the state, as I do so often, we are constantly encountering new people who are just now hearing about us. You know, uh, trying to do anything in a state uh, the size of California is enormously difficult. It is a state that, I don't know, I think we've got at least 1,500 miles of coastline, 58 counties, 40 million people, and uh, the sixth largest country uh, economy, rather, in, in the world. Los Angeles is a country unto itself. Spreading the word on a subject like this is enormously uh, challenge, challenging without vast amounts of money. So the real, the real story here is up to you to get this word out. But as we do, we are now more convinced than ever that school choice uh, time has come of age as as an issue, and now we have people responding to it and to the issue of the schools in ways in which we never did back in the beginning. We heard so many people that were just concerned. It's a huge concern, but we're concerned about academics, concerned principally about the fact that California schools are 48th in the nation, despite the fact that we spend over $20,000 per year per student. And in some school districts, even more than that, what, we spend all that money, $500,000 per classroom of 25, $6.5 million for those 25 students over a period of 13 years. That is K through 12, K plus 12, 13 years, $6.5 million, and they can't get our kids to any uh, acceptable level of literacy. And then when we propose that we turn that money over to the parents and let the money follow the child, they respond, well, if we do that, you're going to ruin the public schools. And our response, of course, is no, we're not. You already did that. We're just trying to fix the problem. We're trying to fix it with the uh, the C word, and this is what really drives him crazy. And the C word is competition. And, and uh, what this system doesn't have right now is anything like uh, competition. And we put the parents in charge. And those parents are the ones that introduce two important things. They introduce price competition because the parents are the ones who would determine where that scholarship money is directed. And then as they direct that money, they exercise control over the pricing, over whether the, over the quality of the school, how much they want to save back. And at that moment, that woman from San Salvador, I call her, She's my favorite gal. I call her Lupita Gonzalez. And Lupita has three children. She's not American. She's not a citizen, but her children are, and she's here. And Lupita is having a tough time getting any respect, even getting any attention from anybody. They just blow her off and ignore her. And she can't, she can't get her calls returned. She much less get her concerns addressed. But what happens in LAUSD, where the actual amount of money that they're spending per kid is over $30,000 a year, Lupita, under the Educational Freedom Act, will have at least $14,000 per year that she can take and direct to a, a, a participating school of her choice, not the school districts. But when Lupita leaves, she doesn't take $14,000 per year per child. 
what she, excuse me, 52, uh, what she takes with her is not even three times 21,000, which is what the government spends each year. In LAUSD, that number is over 30,000. So uh, Lupita Gonzalez is actually in a position to take $100,000 a year in revenue and take 52,000 of it somewhere else. And that other 52,000, 50 some thousand is not going to be in the control of the school district. And it is in that moment when Lupita goes from being a mother to being a customer. There's that other C word. She goes from being a mother and, and, and a, uh, uh, and an annoyance to being a customer. And at that same moment, she goes from being Lupita to Mrs. Gonzalez. So when somebody comes into your office, anybody listening to this, I don't care what profession you're in. When somebody comes into your office and represents $100,000 a year in revenue, we call that person a customer. We treat them with respect. We treat them with deference. We pay attention to what they say. and We make every effort that we can make to retain them as a customer, except if you are the Los Angeles Unified so-called school district, which has a monopoly over the kids, a monopoly over the money, a monopoly over the information that flows in the hands of these children, a monopoly over their future. That's what we're dealing with. And the Educational Freedom Act Initiative, which if you're listening to this podcast, you know it, either that or go to our website, californiaschoolchoice.org, and you can find out more about it. Because the scandals in this country are are just incredible. And the case for school choice has long been made. You are uh, one of my special uh, researchers here. Dr. Josh Jacobs uh, here uh, prepares weekly stories for me, and they're always just wonderful here. One, for example, 25 of 28 studies show that the uh, effects of school choice on public schools are entirely positive. And another study demonstrates that 25 of 27 uh, studies under, underscore the fact that private school choice competition leads to better outcomes in public. Now, what did he just say? Private school outcomes, good outcomes there, make private schools make for better public schools. Why? Because of that C word. Because Once you destroy the monopoly, then market forces apply entirely to this government entity. It is no longer exempt. When it starts bleeding revenue and can no longer hire uh, all the grifters that it has, or the students are leaving and they can no longer afford to have teachers with no students to teach, then they will change. That's why School choice, as as we advocated, is such an important uh, public policy prescription, and it's one that you can make happen. And all we have to do is to get those signatures, put it on the ballot, and vote for freedom, vote for parents, vote for family, but most of all, vote for these children's future. Now, uh, I've just been informed that our guest here, Lance Azumi, is uh, standing by. So uh, what, uh, we, uh, what we're going to do here 
is to take a, a little tiny break, and then we'll be back with the first segment with Lance Azumi. Uh, be back with you in just a few moments. California schools rank 48th nationally. Even though we spent $20,000 per year per student, that's $500,000 per classroom. This system is nothing but a fraud, a hustle, and a con. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, Chairman of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents will decide where their children go to school. Each child will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Hello, everybody. Mike Alexander back with you, the voice of choice. And as I promised you, we now have our uh, guest of the week here, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Lance Azumi, who happens to be a lawyer. More particularly, currently, he is the senior director at the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. And Lance has written extensively and produced books, studies, and films on such a wide variety of education topics. And most recently, he authored in 2017, I read this book, it's fabulous, The Corrupt Classroom, and the other one, 2019 book, Choosing Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children. Uh, do you have a website that is, is your uh, CV and your publications, Lance, is it up there uh, on uh, Pacific Research Institute, or do you have your personal website? Well, Michael, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, the, people can uh, access all my writings, uh, the books you mentioned, also my most recent book, which is, just came out a month or two ago, called The Homeschool Boom, Pandemic, Policies and Possibilities. Uh, and they can access that on Pacific Research Institute's website, which is www.pacificresearch, all one word, pacificresearch.org. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and by the way, one thing, you've got, of course, a much uh, longer uh, resume. Uh, he has some saving virtues and some not-so-saving virtues. He, like I, went to USC Law School, but he was polluted and corrupted. He got his uh, degree in political science earlier from University of California, Davis, and then went across town to our hated rival, uh, BA in economics from UCLA. Uh, all kidding aside, fabulous resume, uh, tremendous uh, 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 academic background, but also you've spent some time uh, in uh, in the Army or at least the California National Guard. Are you, are you still in or did you retire yet? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I hung up my boots a little while ago, Michael. I actually served five years uh, in the California State Military Reserve which yeah. is part of the California military department. And I served as an officer, as a, as a captain. And, um, you know, I was very happy to serve uh, our state and our country. 
and it was a great experience. I continue to do a lot of work uh, currently, though, with the United yeah. States Army. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we're a military family myself. I was in the Marine Corps, my father in the uh, U.S. Ar Army Air Forces, as they, they called them, my brother in the Navy. In fact, one of my sons was Assistant Secretary of Defense with, don't say, but with the Donald, right? We have to whisper it conspiratorially. So at any rate, this right-wing love fest is over. And uh, why don't we uh, talk about really uh, the most important topic uh, that affects affects us all, everybody, regardless of, of party, where you live, neighborhood, whatever. We all have a vested interest uh, in making sure that children have adequate educational opportunities. And here in California right now, we're not making it. Uh, Lance, you're an expert in the area. Could you talk to us, uh, please, about where California stands in education uh, and what that means, uh, uh, particularly for inner city and low-income youth? Yeah, no, I think that that's a very important question, Michael. And so let me lay out uh, kind of the California education landscape right now, certainly as it uh, uh, pertains to student achievement, which is, you know, one of the, what we should really be interested in. And so there are basically three things that I think we should look at. I mean, first of all, is, you know, how are California students doing on some of the key uh, math and English exams that are given out, you know, here and around the country. Secondly, you know, what what is thing? What do things look like in terms of uh, like absenteeism and some of these other issues that uh, impact students' learning? And then, and thirdly, uh, let's look at you know other indicators like graduation rates. So first of all, you know, if you look at uh, how students in California are doing on standardized tests, like let's say for example the national assessment for educational progress. That's the big national exam that's given in all 50 states, the NAEP exam, and that's given in reading and mathematics. And so before the pandemic, and this is an important uh, thing to remember, is that you know, people think that uh, California's um, student performance has gone down because of the pandemic, but the, they need to remember that even before the pandemic, things were in very bad uh, situation here in California. If you look at uh, California students' performance on the NAEP examination, let's say in math and reading in uh, the eighth grade, and you find that 70% uh, of the students in California failed to perform at the um, uh, desired proficient level. Agreed. You know? and, yeah. and so, you know, and, and what's important to realize is that it's not just low income kids. Who are doing poorly on the uh, on the on the NAEP examination? I mean, people will try and excuse California's performance because they'll say, "Well, we have lots of low-income kids in this state." Well, if you look at non-low-income kids, uh, kids who are middle class, kids who are more affluent, and you look, for example, at that 2019 eighth grade math and English exam, what, what do you find? You find that half or more than half of non-low-income, middle-class kids and more affluent kids are not performing at the proficient level either. And right. so it's not you know, just... This way, I, uh, ju just to go back, I heard you talk here, I think about a year or so ago at a program, and, uh, and you made a point that uh, many of us have talked about before and since, and that is even the 
so-called good schools in the good communities. We're talking about very affluent communities where these days average uh, resident prices or house prices are well above a million, maybe $2 million, that many of these schools aren't as good as their reputation, are they? No, that's absolutely right, Michael. And that's that's very important uh, to underscore is that if you look at uh, some of the wealthiest neighborhoods in this state, you will find poor performance. And so, for example, uh, several years ago, I actually wrote a book called Not As Good As You Think, Why the Middle Class Needs School Choice. And it was all about what you just uh, mentioned. It's about these middle class, more affluent neighborhoods around the state, like in Orange County, in the Silicon Valley, Beverly Hills, these sorts of places. And, you know, on various indicators, you would find that more than half, for example, of the kids in a particular grade level at a school in these wealthy areas, you know, fail to perform at the proficient level on state examinations, or they uh, fail to perform at the college ready level if they were taking, let's say, the uh, CSU uh, uh, diagnostic exam in high school to see whether kids are college ready. You see at large proportions of kids in these affluent areas who are not ready for college. And so therefore, you know, it's not just in these poor neighborhoods that we might think, which are the failure factories in California, but that um, failure uh, to improve the learning performance of our kids is much more widespread than people understand. And as you say, you can be paying a huge amount of money for the house in your neighborhood, you know, a million dollars, $2 million. I, I, I look at places in Beverly Hills and Orange County and places like that, where that was the average home price. And yes. yet on these indicators, their kids were not doing well. That's right. Now, I, I don't want to take out after any particular school district, but I have had a very uh, candid conversation with parents from San Marino, uh, which is one of our oldest, most affluent neighborhoods in the whole state, home in the Huntington Library, La Cunata Flint Ridge, uh, which is the home of JPL Laboratories, one of our, our most affluent suburbs. And homes in, in these areas will go well above $10 million. Uh, and the people who live there bought there mostly because of the schools. That was uh, what what they needed to make sure that they wouldn't have to go to school in Los Angeles Unified School District. They 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 pay an extra million, two or three million dollars, and they think that they they are getting a private school quality education at, at these um, uh, government run uh, schools in these neighborhoods, and they're just not. Uh, you know, uh, and they 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 have an undeserved reputation, and that reputation that their their street cred is built mostly by real estate agents who run around trumpeting uh, the value of uh, of the schools and therefore the value of the homes. It's all, as I see so often, about the whole system, nothing but a fraud, a hustle, and a con. And, I, uh, I think, and I, let me let me just interject. And I think you're absolutely right, Michael. That's absolutely true. I think one of the other things too that uh, you see in these more affluent areas, you know, even when you see uh, test scores that might not be too bad, you have to ask, like, who is responsible for those scores? Is it the school, or is it the fact that so many of the parents in these places, because of the failure of the schools to provide the education they, and learning for their children, they end up 
purchasing supplemental services, yes. you know, tutoring or, or uh, Kumon after school yes. classes, that sort of thing. And so people who have some means purchase these services in order to make up for the and compensate for the inadequacy of the regular public schools to which they send their children. That's correct. Yeah, I've seen that big time, uh, 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 particularly in Pasadena and, and San Marino with strong Asian communities. You look at these after school uh, uh, programs, you go in there, you got nothing but Asian kids in there. And the parents have, uh, are, uh, are holding, the people get held accountable, are the parents holding the kid accountable. And so, you know, he's got to go in there, or she's got to do uh, Kumon. I, I, I agree with you. The parents are subsidizing the poor performance uh, of these schools. They don't operate at the level that you would think they would, given the amount of money that is being paid to them directly and the, the indirect cost uh, of housing to go into this you know, multi-million dollar uh, education, which brings me to educational funding in California. Once again, Lance, you are uh, one of the leading experts. The government, the governor's uh, most recent budget, I think this would be the 22-23 budget, shows minimum per pupil uh, Prop 98 spending, that's the basic uh, uh, funding mechanism in California for the audience. That is right now at about 15000 for the new budget in 2022, 2023. And uh, the average projected o- total pupil expenditure is north of $21,000. Um, uh, obviously, average class size, about twenty five. Uh, you've got uh, twenty thousand dollars average. Or just make it twenty grand. So you've got five hundred thousand dollars being spent on the average classroom of twenty five. Uh, the you know the teachers uh, taking home a hundred plus. It got some overhead. Uh, you know the kids uh, pro rata share of nursing this and that overhead and whatnot. Uh, so let's just make it one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Where does the other three fifty go? How come? Uh, it takes six and a half million dollars over 13 years, and the kids, 70 percent of them, aren't at grade level. Talk to us about how the money works or doesn't in California. Well, I think that's a very important uh, point that you bring up, Michael. It's like, are we getting bang for our buck? The mm-hmm. amounts of money that you're talking about, like for example, total education spending from all sources, state and federal, in California is now, as you say, north of twenty thousand dollars per child here in California. And where does that money go? Is it actually? And it, that's a record amount that we're spending here in California. And so, uh, are we going to get bang for the buck? Well, my, my, my feeling is that, well, you just have to think that uh, we haven't been getting bang for our buck up till now. Those uh, test scores that I mentioned, uh, you know, have occurred as spending have been going up in California. And so it hasn't produced improvements in uh, education here in California. And you just have to look then, for example, over COVID, just the last couple of years. And research has come out showing, now this is national research, but certainly probably applies here in California, that the learning loss suffered by kids during, let's say, the close down of the regular public schools has been monumental. And so in reading and mathematics, the average student has lost four to five months of learning in reading and mathematics. If you're in a low income school uh, where, where majority of the kids are low income, the learning loss has been more like seven months. And yeah. so 
that's what that's what you're seeing here in California. You look at the uh, state test scores here in California during COVID, and you're seeing huge uh, deficits in learning uh, based upon uh, test scores. You see increases in failing grades amongst uh, kids here in California. And you look at, for example, the absentee rates here in California. Now, if you look at chronic absenteeism, which is defined as kids missing 10% or more of school days, you find huge increases uh, during the time when money was being increased here in California during COVID. And you find that, uh, for example, I'll take here in my area up in Sacramento, uh, there's the city of Stockton just to the south of Sacramento, which had always had issues, but uh, there, the, the um, percentage of kids that are now chronically absentee is now about 40%. And that's double. Wow. That's double from what it was before COVID. So you're having a huge cascade of failure, not just uh, in terms of the uh, grades that, uh, and the, the test scores that kids are getting, but also the fact they're not attending school because the schools are not providing them with what they need in order to entice them to come back to school. And so yeah. and they're really not. The schools aren't designed to, get, to provide the kids what they need. The schools are, in fact, designed to provide politicians and employees and unions and everybody, all the special interests, what they need. Uh, and, and the reason for that is why, you know, why uh, is the system unresponsive uh, to the, the student? Well, the answer is lack of competition. And this area is an area where you've spent a lot of your professional career talking about the importance of competition, the competition of uh of, of charter schools, of other, of other um, approaches and so forth. Maybe you could talk to us about what school choice currently means, leaving aside our excellent initiative. We don't want to get you hot water there because, by the way, this guy works for a 501c3. They want to keep their fingers out of politics here. So uh, Lance is a good friend. We, we, we won't ask him to comment on, on the bill. But certainly the idea that many different approaches that have been taken to, uh, to school choice, is it justified? How do they work? What is the case for competition in uh, education? Well, I mean, uh, thank you for asking that question, Michael. I mean, uh, school choice at, at bottom is about competition, and competition in the marketplace for uh, learning services is really important for several reasons. First and foremost is uh, for the parent and the child, right? If your kid is not doing well for whatever reason. It may be academics, it may be safety reasons, it may be uh, learning uh, styles, whatever it is, your child may not be doing well in your neighborhood school. And even if you're not to blame the neighborhood school for that, it's simply the uh, way these schools are structured, they're a one size fits all. And many kids cannot uh, excel in that type of environment. So parents want a choice. Now, you know, that, that's why we need to have as many choices available to them. Now, whether that be charter schools, whether those be private schools, and hopefully, you know, helping uh, parents access private schools uh, through uh, school choice mechanisms, education savings accounts, those sorts of things that have right. been passed in other states. Or uh, in uh, California's case, if you uh, don't have a charter school, for example, and you can't have uh, available, you don't, uh, aren't able to afford a private school, then, you know, you can homeschool your child instead immediately. And that's, the, you know, what I, I talk about in my book, new book, The Homeschool Boom. But 
as I say, first and foremost, the reason why we need school choice is to give that opportunity for the child to receive the type of education and learning services that best meets that child's individual needs. And so, uh, <laughs> the secondly, competition though will you know if you if you follow uh, market theory is that it's supposed to then incentivize the regular public schools the kind of the reigning monopoly to to uh, to do better. Look at the competition. Look at why you're losing kids right, who are basically your customers, your clientele. Why are you losing those kids? And what, where are they going? Maybe you should copy some of the best features of your competition in order to improve your system. And so here in California, for example, uh, California's public schools just over the COVID uh, time frame have lost 160,000 kids in enrollment. And uh, you've had uh, places like Los Angeles, which have had huge dips in enrollment during the COVID situation. Well, part of that you know, has to do with the disease, but also uh, part of it has to do with the failure of those uh, entities in the, in the public schools to be able to confront this issue. And so therefore, when those kids leave, and many of them are leaving for charter schools, private schools, and homeschooling, well, the regular public schools should look at those alternatives that are being offered to these children and why parents are choosing them, and then copy those best um, features of those school choice alternatives, and so that they can bring back their own clientele, their own customers. And so uh, competition helps both the people who um, have the choice, but it also helps those players who are providing the services as well. Yeah, we, uh, obviously, yeah, we agree. And these approaches have been very successful in other states. I mean, it, it was uh, perhaps the, the biggest success story uh, or, or the best known was in Washington, D.C., uh, when, when they provided access uh, to private scholarships and private schools. And in that neighborhood, of course, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, is you know, that district probably 80 plus percent uh, black and 90 percent um, lower income. Uh, so, uh, and, and the performance uh, was just extraordinary. Uh, uh, do, you, uh, do you have any recollection of that program or any comment? Yeah, on no, that? Absolutely. Uh, that, that program, the D.C. voucher program there has uh, performed very well over the years. And uh, you're right, Michael, it provides a safety valve for so many of these kids who are trapped in failing uh, D.C. public schools. And D.C. public schools historically have had a lot of academic uh, problems. And, you know, parents, unless they had this uh, choice program available to them, would be stuck uh, going to uh, these basically failure factories. And so and and, and one of the things that you uh, see in the research that's been done on school choice programs like the D.C. program, but also, you know, other programs across the country you find that, uh, and if you look at the most rigorous research done on school choice programs, you find that kids who are uh, taking advantage of these school choice programs do better than their um, peers in the regular public schools. And so, you know, it, it's a real win for uh, the kids who would normally receive an inferior education. Yes. But again, you know, uh, those regular public schools should take that lesson and say, we need to do better. And I will say this, one of the first films that I ever did, Michael, was a film which actually looked at Sweden's uh, voucher program. 
their ah. school choice program. And we mm -hmm. always think of Sweden as being a uh, socialist country in many ways it is, but in the uh, marketplace there in Sweden, they have a, a voucher type program uh, which uh, where the money is attached to the child and the child can go to the public or private school of their choice. And I talk with the former education minister of Sweden, who at the time was uh, the current, then current governor of Stockholm. And he told me that one of the things that he found when they implemented this school choice program in Sweden was that so many of the public school headmasters came to him and said that, well, we're losing kids to the private schools, uh, but if they can do it, meaning the private schools, if they can do it, so can we. And right. so it, it incentivized the, the public schools in Sweden to do better. And I think that for those of us who would like to see uh, whatever system here in California, whether it's public, private, homeschool, we want all kids to do well. And whatever we can do to incentivize various systems to perform at their best, we should really look favorably upon that. Totally with you. You know, you used a phrase early on that I really liked, uh, and it's an economic term ultimately, uh, acquiring or purchasing learning services. That's really what is provided uh, at whatever level of quality. <clears throat> that's what actually goes on at government schools or private schools. Those are learning services, and we're acquiring them in, in the marketplace and trying <clears throat> to uh, you know, to get the you know, the best for our money. Uh, there's one question. You know, there is the, um, I think you called it the NAPE uh, test or whatever. It's N-A-P-E, is that the national? N-A-E-P. N-A-E-P. Yeah, that's right. And that's a national what? National Assessment for Educational Progress. Oh, I like the, I like the optimistic term of progress. <laughs> <clears throat> but, uh, or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, uh, no footnote required. Required. Um, yeah, uh, and I, I don't know whether I'm right or wrong in this, but I'm always suspicious of, about tests. Uh, who gives the tests? Who administers them? And and I and I I have a negative perception of that. Is this NAEP test, this National Assessment of Educational Progress? or lack thereof, uh, is this a reliable test? Have there been shifting standards? Uh, are, uh, is, is it uh, objective? Uh, talk to me. What's your experience with this test? Well, the NAEP exam, I think if you look at the world of standardized exams here in the United States, uh, it's usually been viewed as being, you know, if not the gold standard, very near it, you know, in terms of a standardized test. Um, it's called the nation's report card because it is used in all, virtually all 50 states. And so, yes, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's given uh, every like two or three years. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it's uh, certainly uh, a, a rigorous examination and something that I rely upon when I talk about the performance of kids here in California. Now, when you say shifting, you know, uh, quality, let's say of tests, yes. You know, I think that's an important point, though, Michael, because if you look, for example, at California's state examinations, now this is different from the NAEP exam. The NAEP exam is a national exam, but California has its own state exam. And uh, over the years, uh, you know, that's changed. And one of the, the things that people should understand is that examinations like uh, the state exam here in California are tied to the curriculum standards that we have here in California. So, yeah. so 
those tests have to be aligned with those standards. Now, if you change the standards, the test changes too, right? Sure. So, you know, so, you know, before the adoption of Common Core, and, you know, I think many of your listeners probably are aware of Common Core. It's oh, yeah. the, the national, this national curriculum standards that were pushed uh, on America during the Obama years. Well, before uh, California adopted the Common Core curriculum and standards, California had its own state standards, which were actually more rigorous than those Common Core standards that we mm -hmm. then adopted. So therefore, when we tested kids, we were actually testing them based upon a more rigorous test aligned with a more rigorous set of standards. Common Core, however, actually reduces the level of difficulty in many areas, like, for example, in mathematics, you have um, uh, algebra used to be an eighth grade subject. Now it's a ninth grade subject under Common Core. And so there, uh, you know, so the test, therefore, changes. And right. so one of the things that I think people should understand is, A, that, the, yes, the, 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 the tests do shift, but also, too, if we're testing according to, let's say, a lesser set of standards, certainly compared with what we had previously, and yet we're still doing poorly, right? Yes, it, yeah. It, it, now, let, let me ask you this, just in, in, uh, in, in general, uh, Lance, let's, let's take a 1960s graduate where we're, where we're trying to measure basic reading capabilities, reading capabilities, computational capabilities. Uh, let's make it a high school graduate. Did you have to know more or less it in in 2020 than you did in 1960 to pass the test. Well, you know, uh, let me just say that, like uh, back then in the 60s, you actually didn't have a lot of tests. You know, in terms yeah. of uh, you know, like these state examinations that we've seen. The 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 the, the process. Uh, I mean, or this advent of state testing really didn't come along to really. Uh, a lot of it came along in the 1990s. Yes. But I will say this is that if you uh, simply look at uh, the curricula, you know, that, um, you know, was, uh, I mean, I, w I was a school child back in the 1960s. And right. so, and, so um, and, and I know that a, a lot of uh, things have changed since then. And, uh, you know, um, in terms of, let's say, how, how you teach kids to read. Yes. Uh, in back in the 1960s, when I was going through uh, school and learning to read, uh, you had a very focused phonics based reading system right. instruction. Now, however, that's, uh, you know, depending on the district, could be very different. You could oh, have... Yeah, we do. And none of which, of course, is an excuse. Now, unfortunately, we're running up against the clock here. Lance, we got to continue this conversation along this very non-political uh, track here, because understanding what actually happens out there is so important. One thing that characterizes all criminal operations, all fraudulent schemes, people steal money from trusts, from corporations and whatnot, is, is, is their uh, constant effort not to leave a, an audit trail or to make it impossible uh, to reconcile what they said with what they did, with what they spent, with what they took. Uh, shifting standards uh, in education and public policy are the same problems. It, it, it makes it very difficult for an intelligent, critical, reflective citizen uh, to, to make 
prudential judgments about the working of the system. But worse yet, it makes it possible uh, for the hucksters to lie about what's really going on. When, in fact, what we recognize is that and in, in even their, their testing, even assuming it hasn't shifted, the results are getting worse, as you pointed out. So whether it's a really great test or not, it's a useful point of comparison. And based upon that, we're failing and it's getting worse year by year, particularly after this pandemic and, uh, and, and the problems that we have. Ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to join me in thanking Lance Azumi of the uh, Pacific Research uh, Institute. He is the head muckety-muck here, senior director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute. If you've been listening for the last half hour, you know he knows the stuff. I know he knows the stuff, and we can all profit from it. He's got that great new book coming out. What is it? Homeschool? The Homeschool Boom. Uh, homeschool pandemic boom. Policies and right. Possibilities. Policies and possibilities. I could almost say that sober, Lance. Anyway, <laughs> great, great title. And there's so much to discuss. Uh, maybe check your calendar. Maybe if you can return soon, uh, I'd like I'd like to pick up this thread because it's a subject that I'm really interested. Leaving aside our initiative, we have to understand what's going on because, as I tell my audiences so often, the future of these children, like it or not, their future is our future. In our system, we share that future. And right now, I can't see very much positive about the future of most of our kids, and we've got to change that somehow, some way. And I know that Lance Azumi will be at the forefront of that battle. And Lance, I want to thank you again. God bless. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll reach out to you regarding a future date if you're available. I would love to be on your show again, Michael. It's a real pleasure and real honor. Uh, Look forward to talking with you and continuing the conversation. You betcha. Take care, sir. We've been speaking here this afternoon with Lance Azumi, as you know, and uh, 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 what what a marvelous uh, uh, interchange uh, with him. He has he's written about a lot of things. You know, these uh, he's a lawyer, of course, and it uh, uh, does a lot of work in a lot of areas of policy. But his forte has been education, uh, with a huge emphasis on California, uh, as you would expect, uh, being a California resident, uh, lifelong, and uh, and a font of uh, of information uh, for all of us. So that concludes our, our first segment. We went a little over, but boy, if there's anybody worth going over uh, for its uh, lands. In our second segment of The Voice of Choice, we will have our uh, tireless investigator and researcher, Ren Contour, man at large, troublemaker, snake poker, Juan Tierra will be back with us for the Government Grifter of the Week Award. Stand by for the return of the voice of choice. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disaster 
Estrus Public School System will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. And now for the weekly Government School Grifter Award, here he is, Le Mazur Juan Tierra. Hello, everybody. Back with you here, Mike Alexander, Chairman Californians for School Choice and President of the California School Choice Foundation, but most importantly, your host for the Voice of Choice, which comes to you each week from the KRLA 870 AM, the Answer Studios right here in Glendale. I'm now back with you for our second segment, our most popular, or is it more popular if it's two segments? We'll get our grammar right. This is a Berkeley man. He'll be able to tell us whether the use of the comparative or the superlative when describing uh, your segment there. But we have the tireless Juan Tierra, who's back for another segment of Government Grifter of the Week Award, and we welcome him back. Uh, Juan, what do you have for us today? Well, as promised uh, last week, I'm going to present an overview of the massive bureaucracy known as LAUSD. Ooh. Yes. Good. Behemoth, you know, educational uh, whatever. Our sources are quite a few. Wikipedia, EdSource.edu. Wallet Hub, ABC News San Diego, LSD, LAUSD website, and of course, transparentcalifornia.com. Our old favorites. In fact, I, I, I use them so much, I have to give them a donation. I got to keep, like, next week, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you how much money I gave. Yeah. <laughs> most, most people know that. Uh, I hope you donate more than I pay you. <laughs> so well, wouldn't take much. Wouldn't take much, but okay, fine. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> Most people know it's the second largest in the, in the country. Only the New York City EDU is, uh, is, is bigger. It, uh, the, it last school year, 2021, operated 1,302 schools. That's a lot. 25,000 teachers, 50,000 other employees. Now, some other factoids you may find interesting. It's buses. It runs almost as many as L.A. County's uh, Municipal Transit Authority. The cafeterias serve half a million meals a day, rivaling, rivaling the local McDonald's. I saw that in your summary. That is incredible. 500,000 meals per day. Half a million. Nanny stayed on steroids. Yeah. Put some right out there with McDonald's, you were saying. Yes, close to it. It has its own police force. Mm -hmm. 268 employees, 211 are sworn officers. It's the 14th largest police force in the state. Uh, now, that a huge is, operation, it has a huge budget, as you will imagine, in the billions. Its fiscal year runs June to June. Three years ago, $7.5 billion. By the way, a billion is a thousand million. After a while, these, these <laughs> if, things if really you went to one of their schools, you, you'll need this help, right? <laughs> million, billion, trillion. It's kind of hard to visualize yeah. all this stuff, but it's a lot of money. Two years ago, $7.8 billion. And hold on to your hat. 
This fixed till year, $13.1 billion. That's now, you're 2021. Probably, I, and we're at the end of that. No, 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 no. It's June to June. They got till next June to spend. It's June to June. 21, 22 to 22. It's June to June fiscal year. Yeah, but I'm looking at your number here. You said uh, the fiscal, it's 20 to 21 uh, for the, so a fiscal. Well, that, okay. Well, that, I, that, that's a bit of, bit of an issue. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, Trust that's, me. This time you're in the 21, 22 yes. fiscal year and they have, thir- have $13.1 billion to spend. And yeah. we'll, we'll circle back how that, they got that because this is an anomaly. It's almost a 60% increase. Almost sixty yeah, percent. Yeah. That's the point. What, however, the numbers are whatever the accounting works out. You just look at it, it's almost double. Uh, well, it's a 0.59 double. increase. Well, they're going to spend some of it out. They, they get they got twenty. They're going to spend thirteen point one this year, and yeah. uh, who the hell knows? But we'll, we'll get to that later on. Now, what are they getting for this money? Now, as you're fond of saying, uh, California's pre-K through uh, twelve come in forty eighth. Actually, I found one that had a 49th. And you say, <laughs> thank good for Louisiana and Mississippi. Right. Other, other surveys that come in the 40s, 40, 42, 43, 38, uh, whatever. Always in the bottom, you know, below, well below 50th percentile in any, any place you look. What are some problems? They've got lots of them. The state of California has identified 110 schools that require assistance because they're struggling to adequately serve their students. 56 in the bottom. Five percent translation. There's failing. A lot of right. them are failing. Even by graduation rates, only seven. Even by their low standards. That's true. Their standards are no. Their standards are no great shakes. That's true. Yeah. A graduation rate. I don't, I don't get this. They give them five years to graduate. I never had that lecture. <laughs> whatever. Right. Seventy-six uh, percent state average. Eighty-seven. Take that as, as you know for what it's worth. The dropout rate. This year alone, 6%, 27,000 students. The steepest decline in 20 years, probably due to COVID and remote learning, and we'll get to that yeah. too also. Sure. Now, the LA Times, the little analysis, the uh, 2020 enrollment total for pre-K through 12 was 466,000 students. This year, it's down to 439. Uh, these are three times what they projected. Now, 15 years ago, LAUSD had more than 700,000 students crowded in all their own classrooms. And you recall, they had a big bond issue, given the name sure. of the number of it, but $27 billion, one of the largest construction projects in the country. They built 131 new schools over 10 years, and they got rid of a, rear, rear, a year-round schooling. Well, this year, it's dropped uh, a lot, and it, it should be school closing. So here's a tough question. Why do so many parents take their kids out of LAUSD schools? Just wondering. Well, here's some theories from the LA Times. <laughs> low, low birth rates. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Expensive housing costs. Well, he's, you know, they're, they're fishing here, fishing this expedition. Here's one. People who live in the area, in the area, have more money because they're older and can afford private school. But here's, here's LAUSD? Well, people look my neighborhood, people who move in there. Actually, they're a pretty good grammar school in Mount Washington. It's one of the better ones, actually. But, but I bet that is in May. Older people, wealthier people who actually buy in this area can afford private schools. But you're going to love this one. Quote, pandemic prompted decline in illegal immigration. 
<laughs> so let's follow the logic here. Yeah. Legal immigration down, at least this area. Right. Less illegal immigrants enrolling in LAUSD schools. Right. Great. The, the, I mean, there you go. <laughs> come on, yeah. man. So, so if nothing else, are helping us to identify the direct cost of illegal immigration. Now, by the way, I don't buy that number. I don't, I don't either. Uh, any more than you do. It's a nice uh, theory. But. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't explain 200,000 since most of the kids that go into the system uh, are citizens. You know, the, the illegal immigration comes, uh, you know, with uh, uh, teenagers and, and young adults who come into the country without children. I know there's a fair chunk with kids, but mostly when, when we when we're talking about the kids in LAUSD, in fact, you and I should look up that little factoid and see if we actually know what percentage uh, of the children in LAUSD are not citizens. I rather suspect that 90% plus of the kids in LAUSD are, in fact, citizens. Can you find that out, though? Yeah. I, you I ask that know. question? You ask that question? I think probably you're going to get the cold shoulder. Yeah, yeah, or, or worse. But anyway, I interrupted your excellent presentation. Uh, here, 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 in conclusion here, here's the uh, proverbial elephant in the room. Unhappy with her remote learning, many families took to homeschooling last year and found benefits beyond their expectations. The number of homeschoolers more than doubled last year nationally, especially among African-American parents who had long felt public schools shortchanged their kids. As per your guest last week, Pastor mm -hmm. Brian Hawkins. Remember yes. his son? He wanted to be a pilot? Wasn't yes. getting in public school? There you go. That's right. So, now, recall I said I, we'd circle back to that massive 60% budget increase. The fiscal year being June 2021, they approved a $20 million budget proposed by outgoing Superintendent Austin Butner. Long gone, of course. He's, he's, he, got, he got out of He gave up. Oh, yeah. Now, this is due to two unprecedented occurrences, $5.5 billion in state and federal pandemic relief. Wow. Okay. And, and record state tax revenues. Yes. Uh, this is a little into the weeds with the way the income tax works here. If Silicon Valley does well, they hit the millionaires big time and they had a good year. Let's face yes. it. Right. Now that the figure will be, that the funding will be spread out over 20, no for years, they claim, but they're going to spend a lot this year. Now, a question for you, Mike. When a governmental agency gets a massive cash infusion windfall, what do they do? Uh, save it for a rainy day. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> Negotiate better contracts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I would be wrong. Right. And they Just have plan. I'm headed to the back with that dunce hat. <laughs> here's how they plan to uh, do it. Spend a lot of this money. This is on the record, LA Times, with their meeting, and they gave it to them. 930 psychologists, psychiatrists, I'm sorry, psychiatric social workers. 80% increase. 80%. Wow. wow. <laughs> 2,130 more teachers, an increase of 8%. And, of course, all new dues-paying other members. Right. 2,000 of them. Oh, yeah. 770 custodial workers, an increase of 25%. A lot of complaints about USD has been LUSD has been their uh, poor maintenance, by the way. Right. And these numbers don't include additional hiring to take place in after school or summer programs. But there's a caveat. 
these jobs may not be permanent. You think? We can hope. Right. <laughs> and did that happen when? Panic time. Now, to sum up, LASD is an enormous failing bureaucracy, which has been hemorrhaging students for years, but has recently received a huge infusion of cash. Will throwing money at the pro pro uh, problems do any good? Can spend its way to excellence? Or would competition, by way of school choice, be a better option? Okay, that's that's a rhetorical question. I mean, just yeah. throw that out there for, for red meat, for tea. <laughs> and we'll talk more of that after we get the, in, in our uh, wind-up here. Okay, now we're ready for the nominees. I am now, ready for the nominees. Now, uh, with all that, all that grift, all, all that... Uh, oh, it, what, what, what a rich, the biggest one in, in the country, 16th or 14th largest police force in the state, the state, the state. right? I mean, uh, you know, if you count our big cities, they're, they're right up there. I mean, you got, you know, LA, Santa Ana, San Diego, Bakersfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you, you name it and, and they come in at 14th. That is astonishing. That was, that, well, that stuck with me, too, that they have 211 sworn officers and obviously about 50 uh, civilian employees. That is astonishing. Now, I, now the new guy, I'll, I'll talk about in a minute, but there are 60 LAUSD employees pulling down at least a quarter mil in salary and benefit packages. Okay? Yes. So I scanned the whole list. Now, we got to put the number one guy up there. This uh, new guy is Alberto Caravaggio, and it looked like a Portuguese name, and it is. Interesting character, yeah. actually. came from Miami. Yeah, but okay. uh, he went to coach the Angolan basketball team. But that's beside the point. Okay, four-year contract at four hundred forty thousand dollars a year, fifty thousand dollars. Four 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 zero. That's good. He's got a nice ring to it. Must be his lucky yeah. number. Yeah, it's a ninety thousand dollar raise over uh, over uh, Butner. Oh. Fifty thousand dollar relocation costs. Uh, a vehicle, a cell phone, retirement plan, standard vacation, health, sick time benefits, etc. The usual big time yeah. package. But interesting right. character. We'll, we'll see, you know. Yeah, well, uh, well, well he, he'll undoubtedly be successful dealing with the Taliban. That would, would of course, be the employee unions. Butner walked away from it anyway. <laughs> well, I agree with second, you. Second, <laughs> the second guy on, on the food chain is the CEO of District Operations and Digital Operations, a David Holmquist. Yeah. Regular pay, 299000 2000 other pay, kind of a piker. Benefits, eighty. A total of $380,000. Yeah. Now, as I said, I perused the whole list of people, and here's one that struck, kind of struck a. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert Martinez, Associate Superintendent, School of Climate, Culture, and Safety. Associate. Like, there, there, there's there's another a, scammer above him. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, there are, well, there are a lot of associates. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can total them up for you someday if you want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, $240,000 regular pay. Not much in right over other pay, 700 benefits, 56,000 total, $297,000. Now, yeah. Caravaggio will we'll give him a pass. Okay. Now, your humble researcher was intrigued by the job description number three. Yeah. Associate School Climate, Culture, and Safety. I As know. it turns out, the climate does not, not apply to the air conditioning. No, that's oh. not it. Who would have known? I found, I, found the, I found the job description as per the LAUSD website. <laughs> Quote, yeah. climate is perception-based. Oh. Well, well, well culture. Kind of like self-identifying. Well, no, it's just, it's just, let's read this stuff. 
Climate is perception-based, while culture is grounded in shared values and beliefs. In this sense, the climate is how people feel in the school. Culture is a deeper sense of how people act in the school. Now, in my humble opinion, yes. anyone who can wrap up nearly $300,000 in paying benefits with yeah. this job description is a master grifter. Yeah. And so he is our... I mean, the, the, I mean, just the title. Isn't that special? Uh, the associate but kills me, which means there's a, there's somebody else above him who is, I guess, he's the associate superintendent of, of school climate, culture, safety, and BS. That means there's somebody above him. Your job is to find well, out who that guy or gal is for next. Well, year. I'm not sure to that uh, specific title there is, but there, there's at least someone out there. Okay, I'll I'll take that yeah. on. This so, is. Uh, and what what the perfect grift, school climate, culture, and safety. How do you measure this? How do you even define it? Uh, you, this guy. That is a challenge. How do you solve it? What's the problem? It goes on forever and ever. Peromnia is the, is the old Latin phrase in the church goes, peromnia secula seculorum, throughout all the ages of ages. This will never end. The grift that won't end. All right. Drum roll, please. <laughs> What's going on in the background there? Uh, and the government grifter of the week winner is Robert Martinez. Hands, hands down. Associate Director of of uh, associate uh, superintendent, associate superintendent, <laughs> school climate, climate, climate culture, culture, culture and, and safety. I know, I know. You, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, this is. Uh, remember when we had uh, 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 a radio free Los Angeles when we'd end up with the government grift of the week award? We'd all say it once, and it, what we wanted to know is, what the hell do you do for that kind of money, right? And, and and we we need to start extending uh, since we're the voice of uh, choice and education. We need to extend an invitation uh, to Mr. Martinez to walk us through all this and uh, how we're getting the make. And, and you know, everybody out there, uh, here here's something I know you know, but you have to continuously reflect on it. When these guys, here's where he's regular pay 240 plus all of his other uh, plunder there over and above that. But these guys will work for the school district for however many years they do. And there's going to come a time that he will get 90% of that amount of money forever. Well, and it, unlike your compensation, unlike your checkbook, unlike your taxes, his will be indexed to inflation. So he's always going to get the same amount of money. And, and, and you too, your check is indexed to inflation the other way around. You're going to pay more and more and more of your check, uh, of your sustenance, of your wealth, to make sure that this special government class gets its unending uh, uh, welfare benefits at the end, employment forever. They'll tell you, earn it. In fact, we want to hear from Robert as to what he does for that kind of money. Uh, tell us, uh, poor benighted souls that we are, we would love to know from you exactly how all that works. Well, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, Juan has done another great job of digging into the background of what actually goes on in our system. And if we had a thousand ones uh, uh, in uh, uh, work in the system, it, it still wouldn't be enough to uncover the grift and how it actually works. And that's one of the things that we discussed today uh, with, uh, uh, with our uh, first guest, Lance Azumi, expert uh, uh, attorney in education and how it operates. One of the real tricks uh, is in testing. What, not only how are we teaching, how are we testing? How do we compare performance uh, between 1900, 1950, 1960, year 2000? I mean, can you believe 2000? The turn of the century is not 20 years ago. And more importantly, how do we measure academic performance today? Uh, one way or the other, uh, when we look at, uh, at, at these tests, you know, we know that, we're, that these kids aren't learning. And it would be bad enough if we were paying this kind of money. Uh, for good results, but to pay it for no results and, and to create new positions and they're bringing all of, uh, all of these psychologists in now, now you watch everybody and, and I don't get any points for making this prediction, but we just went through and spread this money. Now, what are we going to hear next? We're going to hear about the need to hire more teachers to bring down teacher student ratios. And yet every time they get new money, what do they do? They add non-teaching personnel. Now they'll tell you that they're that they're saying twenty-one hundred thirty teachers an increase of eight percent. Well, uh, you know we need to take a look at that number. But in any event, let's listen to to uh, Juan Tierra here. Uh, the basic the you know the basic numbers. Fifteen years ago, the system had seven hundred thousand students. These days, uh, they're down to what? What was your number? About five hundred. Oh no! Four, well, sixty-six, four, 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 four and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah declining uh, enrollment and more money, huh? Yeah, and, and more money. Then we look. You know, the long-term trend has has been bad enough. You know, a, a, a doubling in real spending uh, over the last ten or fifteen years. A doubling. Inflation-adjusted real spending, right? In other words, the same dollar adjusted for inflation. And now these guys go up almost double in under five years. Almost double in five years to do what? Well, the answer is, of course, to flesh out their political infrastructure. 930 psych psychologists, 2130 uh, teachers, 770 custodial workers, and a partridge in a pear tree. And all of that uh, and all of that does one thing and one thing only. Mark it down. Take out your notebooks. Classes could be on the test. Each and every one of those public employees will pay upwards of $1,000 a year in dues. So what they did was to make sure that the various unions there are going to see an increase um, of um, uh, you know, about $30 million a year in dues. That's how it works. And all that money is then turned around, just like any other enterprise, it's turned around and reinvested. Now, in the government's fear, what that means is when you invest, you invest in politicians. You identify people, uh, get them elected to office, who will give you all of that money. That's how they reinvest. 
these school systems may not be particularly good, and you may see them as inefficient or failures, but as a matter of fact, they are exquisitely well-managed businesses. It's just that their business is not truly education. Their business is grifting. Their business is using education to scam and grift more money and pay themselves more money. Yeah, uh, why? There's no competition. Why wouldn't you? That's where the money is. That's where the fraud, the hustle, and the kind is. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to thank Juan Tierra for his work. He goes through, he does a lot of real reporting here. We need to get him a job with the Times if they'll print his stuff here. And uh, uh, start clearing up some of the uh, the the confusion, uh, but then again, I'd start to have to pay him something there for uh, for his uh, body armor, and because uh, uh, yeah, he'd be a target then. But we had another great week of uh, Government Grifter of the Week Award, and also Lance Suzumi. We want to thank him again, and I want to thank you, the audience, and our producer here. Uh, Kevin Campbell. And uh, I don't know, what are we going to call uh, Dr. Josh Jacobs over here? Researcher extraordinaire. Uh, and uh, known Josh for years, been involved uh, with us for years on all this stuff. Thank you, Josh, uh, for the research here. It's invaluable and so forth. And thank all of you for listening. And so we'll, uh, this is the conclusion of episode eight of The Voice of Choice. And we'll see you next week for episode number nine. Don't forget to go out there, download that petition, get some signatures, go to californiaschoolchoice.org and join us next week for another exciting episode of The Voice of Choice. And remember, it's your children, it's your money, and it's your choice. This is Mike Alexander signing off. Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. <laughs>